O-G-Y-C, do you love Jesus? That's what I'm talking about. Are you sure you love Jesus? And why do you love Jesus? Because he first loved me, that's the reason we all are to love. All together. Oh, how I love Jesus, singing, oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus, because he first Love me. How many of you, that's why you're here tonight? Amen. Amen. Do you love Jesus more because you came to Houston? Let me see your hands. You say, I love Jesus more since the first day I arrived on Wednesday, and now it is Saturday. I don't know about you, but I love Jesus more because of my time here. God has been good, very good. That's right, all the time. Tonight, for our final message, I've chosen the title, Nothing But Love. Nothing But Love. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Mighty God, Everlasting Father, you have been in this place, and we knew it not. This is none other than the gate of heaven. Lord, we pray that heaven would come down one last time, that the sweet, sweet spirit of Jesus may rest upon this place May he travel from heart to heart and from mind to mind. May you use this man who is nothing before you. Father, may you speak through me and may you speak to me that Jesus may be lifted high, that we may leave this place with a commitment to love Jesus more ardently with greater sacrifice, and with a willingness to live forever for his name until he shall appear. This is our prayer, and we trust that you will help this to be our experience, for we offer this prayer from our hearts in Jesus' name, amen. Many years ago, I was running a ministry in Boston. God was blessing. We had a young adult Bible study Sabbath afternoons that had grown to 70 to almost 90 young adults. And there was one lady that used to come to our Bible study. I'm not going to say her name. She might be watching. But those who are in Boston will know who I'm talking about. And all of a sudden, the pastor decided to join our Bible study one Sabbath afternoon. And as we were reflecting, 
this sister decided to stand up and to start giving a speech. And she began in her accent to start telling us that this Bible study was important. This Bible study was changing lives. And so she said, Pastor, you know why I like to come to this Bible study? And the pastor said, no, tell me, sister. She says, because when Brother Sebastian is leading out in the Bible study, he makes me feel like I'm a sinner. And when you preach, I don't feel like I'm a sinner. I want you to make me feel like I'm a sinner. I said, Lord, have mercy. This is not the purpose of the Bible study. And in her understanding, and many of our understanding and people within our ranks, is that this attitude that a sermon is not good, it's not radical, it's not hard-hitting if it doesn't make you feel like a sinner. We walk around quoting Bible verses like Isaiah 58 and 59 where we say, cry aloud and spare not. We quote Proverbs, open rebuke is better than secret love. To justify preaching Christless, hopeless sermons. We approach preaching with this mindset like we are spiritual masochists. But the Laodicean message, it is not a message of peace and safety, by no means. It is a message to warn, to arrest our attention. But I want you to take your Bibles with me and notice why Jesus gives it. Go with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. Revelation, chapter 3. We're going to read in verse 19. When you're there, you can say amen. amen. Okay, if you're not there, just say have mercy. All right. But mercy said no. I don't have time. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 19, the Bible says, As many as I love, I do what? Rebuke and? Rebuke is verbal. Chastening is a spanking. Jesus says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. You see, many of us are tempted to leave this conference and become what I call garment watchers. You see, we're tempted to go back and to preach this message because we hate our experience in our church, not because we love our church. That means you're just a garment watcher. You see, our Father Cares, page 257 says, those who are quick to censure others who speak words that cut and bruise the already wounded soul are doing Satan's work, are laborers with the prince of darkness. We got some people among us who are on the devil's payroll. Some people are due for a raise. Because we are just garment watchers. First Testimonies, page 145. I saw that all the religion of a few poor souls have 
consist in watching the garments and acts of others, dress and bonnets, and finding fault with them. And unless they reform, listen to me, GYC. I'm quoting from the spirit of prophecy. Unless they reform, there will be no place in heaven for them, for they would find fault with the Lord himself. Brothers and sisters, we did not study the Laodicean message these past several days to go back home to be garment watchers. To go back to our churches and say, that sister's skirt is too short. That sister is still struggling with jewelry, and she may very well be. But we don't leave becoming garment watchers. So focused on the actions and the character and the spiritual life of other people, we neglect ourselves, which is how we became Laodicean in the first place. The purpose of the message is for us, yes, go back to our churches and preach this message. Go back and warn, arrest the attention of your friends, your family. We need to go back to San Antonio. We need to go back to New York, to Oklahoma, to Canada, to South America, to Europe, with the fire in our bones to preach a terrorizing message of rebuke. But that rebuke must be in love. You have to preach it because you love your church, not because you hate your experience. I don't want to hear about dead songs and singing hymns on Sabbath. Because we don't go to church in order to be entertained. GYC stands in rebuke of the fact that intelligent, committed, young Seventh-day Adventists are not interested in entertainment. We are interested in the Word of God. And we want to hear the truth as it is in Jesus. I don't need any puppets. I don't need your magicians. I don't need your Christian comedians. Don't invite me back to church and say, well, you know, young people, let's get them involved. Have them do the scripture reading. Brothers and sisters, when we go back home, preaching the Laodicean message starts with our own heart searching. You see, in many ways, what God is trying to bring through this message is similar to the Reformation. And when Luther was at the Diet at Worms, presenting all of his works, and they said, Luther, will you recant? And Martin Luther had no doubt in his mind. I don't know if you've ever been to Germany. Ger Germans have no problem telling you the truth. Give it to you straight, no chaser. But Martin Luther, he knew he was not going to recant. But the great controversy tells us that he told them, give me a day. Not because he was going to consider changing his mind, but because he didn't want the truth rejected because of how he presented it. That is a person 
who is giving rebuke because he loves his church. We have to make sure that the truth is not rejected because of how we preach it. People don't reject Adventism because of Adventism, but because of how we present it. Young lady was asking me, she said, Brother Sebastian, a good friend of mine, one of my young sisters in Christ, and she's talked to me about different guys that she's been interested in. And so one time she introduced me, not to a guy she was interested in, but to her boyfriend. Just brought him into the place, was like, hey, Sebastian, this is my boyfriend. And of course, at this point, right, she's expecting me to shake his hand, be nice, all these different things. And she said, you know, Sebastian, you seem kind of weird. Like, why are you acting awkward? It's making him uncomfortable. And I said, look, you know, I got no problem with the brother. He looks like a nice, great, young, seven-day Adventist young man. She's like, so why are you behaving that way? I said, see, normally in the past, when you want to know what a person thinks about your boyfriend, you usually talk to them before they're your boyfriend. So you're going to start making him your boyfriend and then ask me what I think? You already made your decision. She says, well, I'm not really following you. I said, see, listen, I don't have a problem with him. I have a problem with how you presented it. You see, I have a favorite food. I love Thai food. I love Jamaican food, of course. I love a lot of different food. And someone said, Sebastian, you know, uh, we're, we're going to make you some nice, great Jamaican food, right? We're going to give you some rice and peas and some festival and ackee and all this type. And they're presenting it, but then they take the cover of the trash can and they serve me the food on the cover of the trash can. And they're like, well, why don't you want to eat it? I thought you said you love this type of food. The problem is not the food, it's how you presented it to me. And a lot of us are taking Adventism, biblical Christianity, Christ's religion, and presenting it on a trash can cover and wonder why people are rejecting it. The Laodicean message is already hard as it is to accept. Don't make it harder by presenting it as a garment watcher. You see, brothers and sisters, God, as Jesus says, as many as I love, I rebuke. I want to take you through a tour of rebuke with love. Because this is not new to God. You have your Bibles, I want you to go with me to the book of Job, chapter 5. The book of Job. Chapter 5. Job chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. Are you there? Can you say amen? amen? The Bible says, Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. For he maketh sore and he bindeth up. He wounds and his hands make Whole. The Bible says that God is not just a bruiser, but he's also a healer. See, some of us are preaching these Christless, hopeless sermons, going to bruise, but we cannot heal. You're like a surgeon who can make the incision, but you can't sew it up. Brothers and sisters, 
I don't know what they do in your town, but where I'm from in Chicago, people who bruise but cannot heal are called gangsters. Because they will bruise you, but they can't heal you. And if we go back and we preach these hopeless sermons, we're bruising, but we are not healing. We're wounding, but our hands cannot make whole. If you and I are going to stand there and rebuke a sister about her dress, you better be at the store helping her buy one. Somebody better say amen. If you're going to rebuke a young man about his behavior and in interacting with young girls, you better sit there and mentor him on how to appropriately interact. If you are going to criticize the pastor, you better make sure that you are there to encourage him when he preaches a good sermon. Some of us, pastor never hears from you till you have a problem. Because we're there to bruise but we don't stay to heal. But that's not the God of the Bible. I want to show you another verse. Let's go to, Jer Let's go to the book of Lamentations, chapter 3. Lamentations, and the third chapter. Looking in verse 33. We'll start in verse 31. The Bible says, For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he doth not afflict willingly, nor does he grieve the children of men. That word willingly in the Hebrew means from his heart. God says, If I could find another way, I would do it. I remember when my daughter, Marari, she was about two years old. And in church, running around, and we were just getting ready to leave after potluck. And as she's running, she falls and she's trying to play with me. And she's like, Papa, you got to catch me. I said, Mari, wait. And she turns, she trips, and she falls into one of those metal chairs on her eye. By the time I get to her and pick her up, the blood is coming down her eye, down her face. So we immediately rush to the emergency room. They're cleaning it up, and then they say, hey, you know, um, we're going to have to give her stitches. Can you hold her down? So as they're coming and cleaning the wound, and she's crying and she's screaming, and I'm trying to hold her down, and she's looking me in my eye like, why are you letting them do this to me? Why are you holding me down? So eventually, I couldn't even hold her down, so they had to literally mummify her and wrap her around so they could finish the stitches. You see, this is the experience of God. He sees your eyes when you look at him and you say, God, why are you letting this happen? Why am I going through this? This heavy conviction, this heavy struggle, this heavy message, this heavy situation, and God is saying, I'm only bruising to heal. I'm only wounding you to make you actually whole. And I know you don't understand right now, but I promise you, you will be healed when this is all said and done. Acts of the Apostles, 
Page 516 says, human beings, themselves given to evil, are prone to deal untenderly with the tempted and the erring. They cannot read the heart. They know not its struggle and its pain. Of the rebuke that is love. Of the blow that wounds to heal. Of the warning that speaks hope. They have need to learn. Brothers and sisters, preaching the Laodicean message is not only a call to be unpopular, because it isn't. When I was a young preacher, I used to preach these no-hope sermons all the time. Taking Ellen White out of context. They're like, oh, this is strong. And people are like, yeah, Brother Sebastian, that was a strong sermon. Praise God. Looking back at those sermons, I'm ashamed because they were lacking Jesus. It was like the offering of Cain. One time I went to a church, I was preaching, and I said, you know, some of you, you're going to shake my hand at the door and you're going to say, oh, great sermon, but you really hated it. So if you're going to reject the truth, don't add lying. I finished preaching, stood at the door to shake hands, half the church didn't even get up. They waited till I left the door so they could exit the church. They said, hey, the man said don't lie, so we all going to sit here and wait till he's gone. Listen, preaching what Jesus says isn't always going to be popular. We act as if everybody loved Jesus when he was around. No, they did not. And if you and I are trying to be Christ-like, we are also inviting not just friends, not just a radical movement, not just a clearer picture of God, but we are also inviting opposition and jealousy inside the church. But you see, Jesus didn't focus on being unpopular. That was not his goal. You see, we need to preach hard messages. We need to rebuke sins. Not because the Bible says it, but because it hurts Jesus. The book of education reminds us that the cross is a revelation to our dull senses of the pain that sin has brought to the heart of God since its inception. You want to know what your pornography habit has done to Jesus? Read about the cross. You want to know what your disrespect of your mother has done to the heart of Jesus? Read the cross. You want to know what your selfishness and your Sabbath breaking has done to the heart of Jesus? Read the cross. You might as well have spat on his face. We might as well have placed the crown of thorns on his head ourselves. We might as well have cursed him as the other thief on the cross. I remember as a kid, my best friend, his name was Jamal. 
Jamal was three years older than me. He was nine. I was six. Every Sunday, we run outside in the field between our apartment buildings, and we were playing football, NFL football, one-on-one. I don't even know how that works, but we figured it out. We had plays and huddles and everything. And so at this time, Jamal is meeting me out every Sunday. And one day, he noticed that I was throwing up a gang sign to somebody. Because this old man said, hey, don't walk on my grass. And I threw up this gang sign, and then he went in his house and locked the door. Because my uncle, who was in the gang, who brought me into the gang at six years old, said, hey, you throw up this gang sign, nobody's going to mess with you. So I was like, wow, this stuff works. Old man ran in the house, scared. So Jamal comes to me, and he says, Sebastian, you shouldn't be messing with the gangs. And I said, no, nah, man, they don't, I'm like, there's no big deal. Like, I get protection, people don't mess with me, everything's fine. He said, no, they do bad stuff in the neighborhood. I'm like, I've never seen them do anything bad. He's like, trust me. It's just bad stuff. Apparently, Jamal's mother was involved in trying to get rid of the gangs. And so they used to call the gang family. And so when people talked about the gang, they say people are talking about the family. So they proceeded to roll up on Jamal's apartment, knock on the door, And when they realized someone was home, they emptied multiple clips of rounds into his house. Killed him and his mother. That was the last day I decided to do anything associated with the gang. Because I believe, GYC, that if Christ has died for me, and ungodly as I am, without strength as I am, then I cannot live in sin any longer. Because how can I trifle with the evil that killed my best friend? Just like I left that gang, I cannot be a part of an organization that killed my best friend. And when we bring rebuke to sin, how can I trifle with the thing that has killed my Lord? How can I trifle with the thing that took the life of my best friend, that destroyed the joy of heaven, the light of earth? This is why we preach the Laodicean message. And the burden of the message is not you're lukewarm. The burden of the message is not you're blind, you're poor, you're naked, you're miserable. The burden of the message is that you can buy from Jesus. Gold tried in the fire. The burden of the message is that you can be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus and that his righteousness doesn't just take away your guilt, it also takes away your shame. The burden of the message is that you in your broken, beat-up life can receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Because of what we have heard 
We cannot go back home without a burden to awaken the rest of our brothers and sisters. But when we come, the reason why we have to be talking to them, the reason why we rebuke has to be nothing but love. You got to be able to come back and say, man, that sister is super rude, but I got nothing but love for you, sister. That dude, he's a player. I know he's sleeping with girls, but I got nothing but love for you, brother. But that don't mean I ain't going to tell you the truth. But I'm going to tell you in love. I'm going to tell you with tenderness in my voice. I'm going to tell you because I care. Charles Spurgeon tells a story. He says, a preacher told a story how he was in his church, and this woman raised her hand during the prayer service, and she said, I need money to pay my rent. I don't have money to pay my rent. So after they closed the service, the pastor took up an offering, and after he counted up all the offering, he collected it, put it in his pocket, and he went to find the woman's home. As he got to her house, he got to the door, he started knocking on the door. No answer. He knocked on the door again. No answer. He's like, okay. Headed back for midday prayer service. While he was at his church setting up for midday prayer service, the same poor woman walked into the church. As she walks into the church, he said, sister, hey, I, I remembered your need today and I collected an offering and I came by your house. Were you home today? She says, oh, yeah, I was home all afternoon since the morning service. He says, really, because I came by your house and I was knocking on your door, but no one answered. She says, what time was it? He said, oh, it was about 12 noon. She said, I was home, and I heard the knocking. And he said, well, sister, why didn't you answer? She says, because I thought you were the person asking for the rent, and I didn't have it. You see, the Bible says in the Laodicean message that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And there's a lot of people, when we stand in pulpits, in Bible studies, in Sabbath schools, in Zoom groups, they think that when we come knocking, that we are the people to collect something they can never pay. Say, yep, another demand, another standard I need to live up to, another thing I have to fulfill. And because of that, people shut down. When I was first coming in, I remember sitting down listening to people and it was like one thing after another. It's like, oh, well, you know, if you're, if you're going to follow all of the health message, you're going to have to get a juicer. Can't afford a juicer. Well, not only that, you know, we got to eat these and you got to avoid pickles and ketchup and vinegar, black pepper and cinnamon. So you're just like, man, so what exactly can I eat? Well, yeah, brother, there's a lot of oil in that. That's just the diet. Then you come into the doctrines. Are you a real Adventist? You can't even explain the 2300-day prophecy without any notes. 
you should be able to answer right away. So let me get this straight. I need to get my champion juicer, get rid of all my pickles and my black pepper and my cinnamon. I need to be studying my Sabbath school lesson faithfully and also find time to memorize the 2300 day prophecy. What about all the other? Yeah, you need to know that too. And you know the foundation of everything is the sanctuary. Do you understand all of that? So the demand, after the demand, after the demand comes, and people say, I'm not opening the door. I'm not going to make a full surrender to Jesus. Because I believe you're coming to demand what I cannot give. Because the person has nothing. We have burdened people for so long only to reinforce the shame and the delusion and the complacency simply because we keep asking and they keep saying, I don't have anything. I have nothing. When in reality, we should be there telling them, I came to provide for the nothing that you have. I came to give. I'm not knocking on the door to take. I'm knocking on the door to provide. So that when we come to preach the gospel, we're not coming to make demands. We're coming to bring his marvelous grace. We're coming to tell a soul that to your multiplied trials, I'm coming to bring multiplied peace. I'm coming to your added affliction. I'm coming to add mercy. To your ignorance, there is wisdom in Jesus. To your weakness and your struggle in your sin, there is an enduring might in the power of Jesus' name. In all of your humility, in all of your shame, you have been adopted by him, and now you take on his name. And what is his name? His name is the name that is above every name. You are named by him that when his name is spoken, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And he will say, you are mine. I call you by my name. Brothers and sisters, my appeal is very simple. We need to go home and we need to preach this message. We need to preach the Laodicean message. But we need to preach it in a way that lets people know, I already know that you have nothing. I already know that you're failing. I already know that you're wounded. I already know that you're tired of trying to fulfill all the expectations and that your life is burdened with shame. And in all your mistakes and in all your faults and in all your ignorance, I got nothing but love for you. I got nothing but love for you.
So my challenge is for those who are willing to commit to Jesus that they're going to love before they rebuke. You say, Jesus, I'm coming to this altar tonight to say that I'm going to love before I rebuke. But I'm not going to pay attention to if I'm liked or not. I'm not going to pay attention to is this popular or acceptable or not. Because once I love you, I have to tell you the truth. But the truth is that you can do nothing. The truth is you need to come to Jesus as you are. The truth is that Jesus provides all the grace so that you don't just experience a miracle, but that you are one. If you want to say tonight, Lord, I'm making a commitment that I am going to preach this message that we've studied. But the only reason I'm going to preach it is nothing but love. I'm going to love before I rebuke. If that's your commitment, I want you to come. You say, this is my commitment to Jesus. I'm going to love before I rebuke. All the way up. Because I'm going to find people who are different, who are struggling. I'm not going to rebuke them. I'm going to say, I got nothing but love for you, brother. We disagree on women's ordination. I got nothing but love for you, brother. We don't see eye to eye on this standard. I got nothing but love for you, brother. That's the commitment. That's what it means to preach the Laodicean message. Not to remind people that they are lukewarm because they already know. They already know. What they need is the grace. What they need is to know that they're still loved even when they're not perfect. What they need to know is that you're still a part of the family. Even when you're messing around. Because family are the only people that love you when you're wrong. That's family. You're wrong. But you're still my brother. Let us kneel together as we pray. Heavenly Father, we fall so short in trying to present the matchless charms and beauty of Jesus. Lord, our words fail. We feel the burden that what we have studied, what we have discovered, 
what we have learned and heard and internalized. We must preach. We must help people to see their self-deception. We must help them to see their complacency. We must help them confront their shame. But above all, if we have nothing else to bring, we can come with nothing but love. And so we are here to make this commitment that we will love before we rebuke. And we'll only rebuke as many as we love. Lord, this is our commitment so that the message is not rejected because of how we present it. Lord, may you stop every device of the devil to reduce the power of the Laodicean message to revive our church, to do its work, to bring about that shaking that will prepare us for that latter rain. But may we go about it all with nothing but love. This, Lord, is our prayer. Forgive us for the rebukes we've given without love. Forgive us for the wounds that we've given without the power to heal. Teach us. Teach us to be more and more like Jesus. This is our prayer. And we offer this prayer from our hearts in Jesus' name. This message was recorded at the GYC Conference, Nothing, in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take sacrificial initiative for Christ and to see Jesus finish the work in this generation. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.